He's a retired career law enforcement officer. And now he's a representative for Southern States PBA. He's dedicating his life to helping law enforcement officers and first responders throughout the United States. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma. Police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. Calling us from the great state of Georgia, we have Patrick Cullinan on the phone. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Patrick, by the way, is a retired law enforcement officer and also, uh, I, I don't know if we should use the term head honcho, but he's one of the muckety-mucks of the Southern States PBA or Police Benevolent Association. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, I would say I'm a staff representative for uh, Southern States PBA assigned to Georgia. That sounds like a pretty official title. (laughs) Yeah, it's the most official title I've ever had. Well, I've been called many things. As a matter of fact, I called a few uh, last night by my wife, and they were not complimentary. And one of the things I always say, never matter what rank I reached uh, or attained while I was in police work, I never outranked my wife. I was always at least one grade lower. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, and I got a funny story about that. So my dad was a career law enforcement officer. I followed in his footsteps. He did 42 years, and I, I, we, I worked, we worked on the same agency together for many years. And he was a staff sergeant in our criminal investigations division in the violent crimes unit. And so I got promoted to lieutenant. And so on my first night as patrol lieutenant, he came by the station to congratulate me and just you know, check on me. And so when he walked in the building, I said, uh, Sergeant, I need you to get me a cup of coffee, please. You did not. My dad. Yeah. And my dad looked and he said, yes, Lieutenant, I'll get you a cup of coffee. And he brought me the cup of coffee and all the guys were like, oh, that's too funny. And he set it down on my desk and he said, you know what? You might be a Lieutenant and I might be a Sergeant, but I'm your daddy and you'll never outrank me. And I said, Yes, sir. That's about right. Look, I knew some salty, crusty sergeants that <laughs> they would give the proper respect to the rank, but when you had a new lieutenant and try to push him around, it it didn't work. It didn't happen. Oh yeah, no, it, it worked one time. He got me that one cup of coffee, and I never, you know, I never pushed that limit again. So before we go into talking about your law enforcement career, and you've had a long storied career, let's talk about Southern States PBA. What is that for people who don't know? Well, it's a professional association. Our main purpose is we provide legal uh, and disciplinary representation to our officers. It is 100% uh, member-supported by the membership dues. And a lot of officers, they get involved with the PBA because they think that the first thing they think is if I'm involved in a critical incident, a shooting, that's the first thing they think of. I want to have an attorney to represent me and not the city, county, or uh, state that I work for. 
And so that's usually why guys and gals sign up for it. That's why I signed up for it. But it goes well beyond that. It goes into uh, representing our members in different disciplinary actions, grievances, and we're very active politically, not only at the state level, but at the local level. So, for instance, in my city, I served as the chapter president and of our local PBA, and we built relationships with our county commissioners. You know, they've got to hear from the men and women that are out in the street. And if you don't have those relationships, you, you know, you're never going to move forward. We saw things happen, increases in uh, benefits, not only pay, but retirement, because of those relationships we formed with those commissioners. So those are some of the things, the main things that are happening, that legal representation and uh, those political relationships that we make with our elected officials. First of all, how many states does that in- include? So we have 11 states that we cover. All of the states, with the in the uh, southern states, with the exception of Florida, Florida, uh, we branched off from Florida some years ago, and we have a uh, great relationship with the Florida PBA. But we cover starting over in Louisiana, all the way over to the East Coast, up around uh, going up north of Georgia to South Carolina, North Carolina, into Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, all those states. That's a- large large area and one of the things that that kind of struck me as unusual is for people who don't know in the police world in law enforcement world pba police benevolent association is traditionally known as a northern states or new england type entity and isn't seen that much in the mid-atlantic or the far south at least i'd never thought of it that way yeah, and that's what you know. That's what we've always seen is the PBA being up north, and it came down here in the '80s. It started in the early '80s down here, and has just grown and grown and grown. We're fast approaching sixty thousand members. That's incredible, and a lot of people. Again, if you're not in law enforcement, if you're not a family member of an active duty law enforcement officer, you might ask yourself, why would a a, a cop that's going out there doing a good job, doing the best they can, following all the rules? and regulations why would they have to worry about having legal representation and the truth is you've got to have it it's a matter of survival absolutely i mean i tell people all the time it's like a a doctor that is um practicing without malpractice insurance you can be the best doctor in the world but you better have it and if you get involved in a critical incident then you've got to have somebody that's there protecting your interests not the uh not the organization that you're right. working for. I even remember my days, uh, especially working narcotics, plainclothes narcotics in Baltimore. The first thing that defense attorneys did was they had their their clients who were drug dealers, oftentimes armed, make a complaint against us for discourtesy and excessive force. And even if you did nothing wrong, you wound up having a complaint. You had to go to IID. You had to give a statement, and you had to have an attorney with you. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And, you know, we do a lot of uh, representation on disciplinary actions. And, um, you know, we give we give citizens, you know, their day in court. And as law enforcement officers, we need to have our day in court, too. Listen, I spent a lot of years in law enforcement. I wasn't perfect. You know, I, I had some licks throughout my career. And, you know, the only thing that I ever asked was to be treated fairly. And I was very fortunate in the fact that I was. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted to dot my I's and cross my T's as well. I mean, I'm not going to go to court, 
and, and represent myself and in a regular criminal case if I had to. Um, so why would I do it, you know, in my career? Absolutely. It, it makes perfect sense to me. And this is something that, again, for those who don't know, and you might think, well, a cop who's a good police shouldn't need access to legal representation. And the truth is, you do. And with politics nowadays especially, when you take all that, the false accusations that come at any active police officer are going to be plentiful. And the only way in this career, with old saying, the only way you can get through unscathed with no complaints ever is to do nothing and to be the last one at the scene of every call and just not do any police work at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I, I tell people, I just got off the phone with somebody earlier and I said, listen, I, I don't care what type of coverage you get, get some coverage. Get somebody to be there in your corner, no matter what comes down the pipe. Because look at the lawsuits. We're seeing more and more law enforcement officers sued than I've ever seen in my career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to have somebody that's there representing you for even those civil cases. Absolutely. For the protection of you, your family, and, and your future, you've got to have it. So if someone wants more information about Southern States PBA, Southern States Police Benevolent Association, what they offer, where can they go? Go to sspba.org. It stands for Southern States Police Benevolent Association.org. It shows all the states that we cover. It goes into great detail of all of the uh, benefits that we offer. One of our biggest benefits that we offer is uh, one year salary to your beneficiary if you die in the line of duty. And that's big. You know, a lot of people take for granted, if you die in the line of duty, everybody knows that your spouse is going to be taken care of by the state and federal government. Eventually, it's months and months before those payments come in. Well, your spouse still has the house payment that's due, the car payments that are due, the utilities that are due, but your check gets cut off from your agency if you die in the line of duty. And the world keeps on going. We are talking with Patrick Cullinan, uh, retired law enforcement officer and uh, one of the members of the Southern States Police Benevolent Association. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Whether you're an aspiring podcaster, new or published author, speaker, content creator, visionary, or a dreamer crafting your message, now is your moment to shine. At CreativeCon 2024, you'll discover how to position yourself as an industry leader and leverage podcasting, publishing, production, and promotions to maximize your impact. For those seeking purpose, we'll ignite your storytelling passions and guide you to a more fulfilling path. To secure your tickets for this one-of-a-kind live event taking place at Chicago's Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, visit creativecon.com. That's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N.com. Get your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it. Write it. Live it. Returning to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Show with Patrick Cullinan, calling us from Georgia, and uh, you're retired law enforcement officer. What agency you retire from, Patrick? Uh, Richmond County Sheriff's Office in Augusta, Georgia. Now, Augusta, I understand they got a little golf tournament out there that's uh, kind of popular. Yeah, we've got our annual sporting event uh, referred to as the Masters. So we're really excited to uh, have people from all over the world come into our city. One of the things I think is slightly different between Augusta, Georgia 
in Baltimore is we had a sporting event called the Preakness Stakes. And I don't think the crowds were as unruly, as drunk, or as disorderly as they are at Preakness compared to your event in Augusta. You know, we see people from all over the world show up for the Masters, and they're all on their best behavior. I'm not kidding you when I tell you, Jay, during Masters week, even our criminals in Augusta are on their best behavior. (laughs) They're probably doing the golf clap. They're all real quiet, right? Right, absolutely. It's the craziest thing. I know people think I'm joking when I say that, but the, I've always said that the criminals are on their best behavior during Masters Week because they know all the judges are out at the golf course and that if they go in, they're not going to get a bond for a week. Oh, that's probably true. And they probably also know that if they do something stupid uh, and draw negative attention to the town, the city during this big event, it's not going to go well for them. That's right, absolutely. So that's another difference between Baltimore and Augusta. They just didn't care uh, in Baltimore. <laughs> it was business as right. usual. So I'm talk about your career. You did a full career in the sheriff's office. Uh, is it Richmond County or Richland? Yes, I work. It's Richmond. Richland County is in Columbia, South Carolina, gotcha. which is an hour up the road from us. Okay, so Richmond County, Georgia. Give us a brief synopsis of your career, from start to finish. This year is 30 years that I've been in public safety because I started as a firefighter EMT in Augusta. And even though my dad had been a law enforcement officer since the day I was born, my dad had uh, encouraged me to do something else besides law enforcement. So I tried the firefighter EMT side, and then I told my dad, I said, in 1992, I told him, I said, Dad, I said, I really want to be a law enforcement officer. He said, I know you do. And so I was hired by the Columbia County Sheriff's Office, which is a uh, the next-door neighbor of Richmond County. So that's where I started my career and then ended it in the neighboring county, Richmond County. When you start in the county sheriff's office, I hear so many people talk about one of their requirements is they got to do corrections for a period of time. Was that the case for you? Well, they gave me a choice, and that was the case that you had to uh, work in either dispatch or in corrections in the county jail before you went to the police academy. And so they had an opening in either one, and I was 20, 21 years old at the time, 22 years old. And they asked me, they said, do you want to go to dispatch or to the county jail? Well, I'm no dummy, and I knew that uh, all the women worked in dispatch, so I chose dispatch. I'll be honest with you. I'd, I'd be opting for dispatch, too. It takes a special kind of person, I believe. First of all, all law enforcement people, all first responders are, are, are special people. It's not the type of career that people just go into for the pay and benefits. And those who do usually don't stay very long unless they fall in love with it. Uh, So they're special people. But the correction side, being locked up indoors for eight hours with inmates, that takes a really special breed of person. And I don't think I have the qualities needed to do that. I agree 100%. Yeah, those definitely are, you know, they they are uh, one of the backbones of law enforcement. And unfortunately, you know, they don't get recognized for their hard work as much as I think that they should, because I, I'm with you. I don't think that I could do it. I really don't. No. And I've also heard the same from many dispatchers have been on the show and others we talked to at lawenforcementtoday.com that many of them in parts across the United States are not even considered first responders. They're considered clerical workers. And they, they certainly don't get the respect they deserve. Yep, I agree with you 100%. I think every officer should serve at least a little bit of time behind that other side of the radio, and it gives you a much better understanding of what they go through. So during your career in law enforcement, so far, start to finish, you've done about 30 years public service. And what rank did you retire at in law enforcement? 
So I retired as a uh, senior deputy. I had moved up to lieutenant and eventually left law enforcement because of uh, some critical incidents and uh, personal stuff in my life. And so I needed to leave law enforcement to get myself right before I continued my career. So when I left, I voluntarily resigned to get Patrick right. I was a lieutenant patrol lieutenant at the time. And that is something that's well documented, that mental health wellness, or whatever terms people want to use, is a problem and has been a problem for law enforcement for a very long time. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea that everybody that's in law enforcement has some sort of mental issues. I I don't like the terms disorder. I don't like the terms disease. I prefer the term injury, especially when it comes to post-traumatic stress injury uh, or illness because it's treated and life does get better. Recent studies I've seen rank it right around 30 to 35% high end of people in first responder work that are walking around with some degree of post-traumatic stress. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's unavoidable. And, and some people do better with it than others. And I heard a great analogy on the show, actually, a long time ago. And one of the guests said, when you work in law enforcement, you're issued a, a heavy-duty, top-of-the-line backpack. And you put it on, and every, every call you go to, you pick up a pebble and you put it in that backpack. Some calls are going to be bigger pebbles or bigger stones, and then other ones will be smaller. But they all you all carry the load and eventually you get to a point for almost everyone where that last little pebble and it could be a big one it could be a very small one is enough to break this backpack and for you to fall apart yes without a doubt and that's what i that's one of that's one of the things that i experienced in my career you know i finally broke down between my fire ems service and then my law enforcement career and on top of that me absolutely refusing to ask for help because of the stigma that was associated with asking for help and I tried to uh, find coping mechanisms on my own and yeah. it was a disaster Jay. And usually those coping mechanisms, coping skills, uh, it's uh, self-medicating with alcohol. That's a term that a lot of doctors like to use and uh, our or my estimation it's more likely alcohol abuse and drinking till you pass out so you can get some sleep that's exactly right and that's what i turned to i turned to the alcohol to slow the wheels down in my head and it, and it works it, it works for a while but then eventually for a lot of people it can become a problem in and of itself and create even bigger monsters you have to deal with yep that's definitely what happened with me i i've been able to control everything in my life i set goals i achieve goals and you know i drank as a uh, teenager just you know every once in a while as a high school kid and then went to college i found myself drinking more you know like a lot of kids do in college and then moving on into my professional career as a first responder i found myself you know, still drinking socially, but then as these things came along and I started putting these pebbles in the backpack um, and started dealing with some pretty horrific stuff, I found myself uh, drinking other times than going out to drink socially yeah. to slow those wheels down in my head, not to think about certain things. It wasn't like the old days 
uh, for many of us, it wasn't like the old days of going to barbecues and hanging out and having a good time or, or going out for ladies' night and dancing and having a really good time. It was drinking until it passing out. Like I said, to slow down the wheels in your head. And I would speak from my own experience that it was impossible to sleep. The last couple of years, it was an absolute impossibility. I'd start falling asleep, and then right before you go to that area, you started falling into deep sleep, I'd hear a gunshot right close to my head. Uh, and it would be like a jolt of electricity through my, and I'd jolt out of bed. And then, of course, the vicious nightmares while you're sleeping. It, it was exhausting. And you wake up more tired than when you went to bed. Yeah. That's right. And you think when you're passing out from drinking all this alcohol that you're passing out and you're getting good sleep and it's actually horrible sleep that you're getting. Yeah, it's certainly not restful sleep. It's certainly not REM sleep. And uh, I'm no doctor. Uh, I think you probably know more about this than I do, but it's certainly not optimum. And in your opinion, your experience, is that still an issue going on today? Oh, absolutely. I will tell you this. You know, we have lots of officers that are still not just officers, but first responders as a whole, that are still using alcohol and prescription drugs as a way of coping and uh, self-medicating. But I truly believe that we are starting to make progress with tearing down this stigma and, and showing the men and women it's okay to ask for help. You can ask for help and you can still have a productive career afterwards. We're going to talk more about that when we return. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Guest on the phone will be Patrick Cullinan calling from Augusta, Georgia. Patrick is a retired law enforcement officer and also works with Southern States PBA, or also known as Police Benevolent Association. What is the website address again, Patrick? It's sspba.org. From your own experience and the experience of what's happening nowadays with so many officers and first responders self-medicating with alcohol, prescription drugs... And I don't like using the term, I said this earlier, I, I hate the term post-traumatic stress disorder, but that's the one that's accepted. I, I prefer the term post-traumatic stress injury. And although not everyone has a problem with that, everyone I know that has a career in law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, gets dinged up. And we're not the same after a few years on a job. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I'm, I was a different person leaving my career than I was when I entered the career, for sure. Before the commercial break, you said uh, you think we're starting to turn a corner. I really do. I mean, I'm seeing more and more men and women, especially in our state in Georgia, and we're we're really making great strides in changing the climate here in mental health. As a matter of fact, last year we had uh, a state representative out of the Augusta area, Evans, Georgia, Jody Lott, Representative Jody Lott, and um, the former colonel of the Georgia State Patrol, uh, who's a state representative now, Bill Hitchens, and several other representatives uh, introduce a bill that would create a division under the Department of Public Safety called the Governor's Office of Public Safety Support. And it would be a full-time staff. I believe it's going to be 12 people of mix of mental health professionals and certified peers that will take care of the men and women 
in public safety in Georgia's mental health, and that includes police, fire, EMS, corrections, and dispatchers. Even those folks that have been forgotten in the past, we've gotten included. And from what I'm being told, that has been funded for $1.5 million a year. It's going to be huge in our state. I'm glad to see they're doing that. Do you see other states across the country following that lead? We're getting a lot of calls from a lot of states leaning on us to figure out how we got this passed. And I'm proud to say our legislators on both sides of the aisle unanimously voted for this. Not one legislator in the state of Georgia voted against this. So it's received widespread bipartisan support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the way it should be. I always say this, our communities deserve the best possible high quality first responders we can get and more importantly that we can keep and we also owe our first responders the utmost care to make sure that they're in the best shape possible to take care of our communities it's you've got to look after the benefits of both if anybody in government puts more priority over the welfare of their citizens than they do their first responders they're out of balance if they put more priority of the welfare of their first responders than their citizens they're out of balance it's got to be equal it does it, it definitely does. And, you know, if you have a man or woman that comes to you and says, I need help, then you need to let them know that there is help available and, and support them. I was very fortunate. Now, I hate to say that I battled. I battled with my demons and my drinking and trying to control it and trying to medicate myself for several years before finally I was just broke down so bad and I'd become suicidal on a daily basis, which was a mind blower to me because I never thought I would be that guy and I finally was broke down so bad I told my sheriff I need help I was a a lieutenant I was doing great on the department nobody had a clue that I was broken down like this I was uh, going through my second divorce you know I was just in shambles in my life outside of work and my sheriff supported me 100%. My whole agency did, and they embraced me. I went off for treatment. I came back and gave me every resource that I could possibly need. And I wish I would have you know, pulled that trigger and done that three years before because I wouldn't have had to go as far down if I, if I had. It's a high cost to be paid when that's happening. It's, it's not just to you, but also your family members as well and the department sure. members. That's exactly right. You know, I do know now, I didn't know it then, but I was truly affecting a lot of people in my life, you know, by not asking for help. It was a trickle-down effect. It was making a lot of folks, especially my kids, sick as well. I'm glad to see that you did. And I'm not going to give names, but people got to understand how small a world this is. I got a phone the other day with my partner, Robert Greenberg, from Law Enforcement Today, and we talked with a woman, and I'm not going to say where her son is a police officer, but he's a police officer, and he was involved in a, the term we use, critical incident. It was a a shooting, it was a gunfight, his partner was killed, and I got to know his first name, that was about it, and then, turns out, I spoke with you the next day, and you were at a critical incident stress seminar, and you met this young man. And it's amazing to me that we can take our combined experiences and say, hey, look, there was a time where I was not okay. I'm I'm pretty cool now. I'm pretty good now. But this is what I had to do. And I'm glad to see people like you are doing that. Well, you're exactly right. And I tell you, a lot of people say to me, they say, Patrick, you'll you'll share your story and I'll talk about the... uh, 
the battles that I faced and uh, the fact that I recognized that I was an alcoholic, that not only had I become suicidal, but I had two suicide attempts. And they say, you know, I can't believe that you'll share that. And I tell them, I say, I share that because, number one, I don't want to forget where I came from. I can't forget where I came from. And number two, I hope that it will help somebody else. I've got a son that's a Georgia State trooper. He's 28 years old, and he's the generation behind me. I want his generation to look at each other and say, why didn't those guys ask for help if they had something going on? That's my goal. I applaud you for that. And this is something I think that we need to start doing across the country is following the lead of a lot of our military veterans that while waiting for departments and city, county, state governments to take action that we need to be more responsive to each other and talk to each other and and ask those questions and say look are you all right seriously are you you don't seem to be doing like you, as good as you were agreed 100 percent. and see i think that you know when they see those veterans like yourself and robert and myself and they see us stand up and say hey it's okay it's okay to be beat up and it's okay to talk to somebody about it you know when they see us doing it then that's where where we uh, make the turn and start changing the climate now one of the things that amazes me about your story and we have not met i'll, I'll meet you in october at your big fundraiser and we'll talk about that a little bit later on but I look at photos of you, and and when I talk to you on the phone, you seem to be as squared away and normal as anybody you could ever imagine. And it's hard to imagine that you were as disheveled and unmanageable and as sick as you say you were, because you don't look that way at all now. Yeah, you know, and I look back on it, and like I said, I don't ever want to forget how far down it took me. But I look back on it now, and I was thinking about it last week I was talking to somebody that was in a pretty dark spot and in February of 2003 I mean I was at my worst I didn't want to live and I thought my whole family would be better off without me and uh, I attempted to hang myself in a hotel and thank God the belt broke that I had hung up to hang myself by and I remember vividly how I felt and I felt like I was a loser and I felt like I was weak because I couldn't you know control these demons and I'm a helper, you know, I'm a helper and a fixer, and I couldn't help myself. And I never thought that I would be able to have the life that I have today. If back then, and I had my last drink July 22nd, 2003, um, God willing, you know, if, if I don't take a drink by July 22nd of this year, I'll have 16 years of continuous sobriety, and that's a miracle. If I would have wrote down... 16, a little over 15 years ago, what my wildest dreams of my life would be, I would have sold myself short. I never would have imagined that I could have what I have today. And most importantly, what I have is I have peace within. And that's priceless. But this conversation applies to law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, dispatchers, corrections officers, military veterans, and everybody else. Every other walk of life. This thing with alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever terminology people want to use, abuse, self-medicating, whatever term fits for them. This is something that applies to every walk of life. And it can save lives. This is Law Enforcement Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. 
You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. We are speaking with Patrick Cullinan calling from Augusta, Georgia. Patrick is a retired law enforcement officer. Thank you for your service, Patrick. And Thank also you, member of Southern States PBA, doing a lot of great things to help a lot of law enforcement officers, not only through Georgia, but 11 states in, in the South. Uh, what's the website again? People get more information. It's sspba.org. I remember in our conversation talking about, and it's almost the best way to describe it is there's Patrick today and there's Patrick back then. And there's Patrick when he was a young law enforcement officer that never would have, would have predicted that this would happen or he would become this guy. And I'm going to say guy, I mean, that could happen with female officers as well. It, none of us sees that coming. And back to that backpack analogy, something happens along the way where everything that worked before, all the coping skills, all the defense mechanisms, all the things that made it okay, we can go home, be a father, a wife, a husband, a mother, whatever it might be, that we're not able to do that anymore. And we start drinking excessively and things get bad. Is there anything particular that comes to your memory that you could say was a turning point for you where things started to go bad? Yeah. So, you know, I'm talking about the career and I've had some uh, critical incidents and been involved in a couple of shootings in my career um, and multiple homicides and suicides, you know, the stuff that we normally deal with. But in my personal life, too, you know, one of the biggest problems that looking back that I see now is that I got to the point as a young officer that I put my career before everything else. I put it before my family. And at the end of the day, you know, I sit there and I think about it when you're missing ball games and, you know, you're whether I was missing ball games because I was working too much or missing family events or for whatever reason, at the end of the day, you got that that you're thinking about and you don't want to be that guy and you're putting these uh, rocks in the backpack too from work, those critical incidents, that cumulative stress, and it just made for a recipe of disaster. And so not only was I drinking over the stuff that I had going on in my professional career, it was also my personal life too. You know, we lead in everything bad, Jay. Mm-hmm. We lead in divorce. We lead in suicide. We lead in addiction. I mean, we lead in everything bad in this career. I'm, I'm glad you say that because you say it in a way where people, you didn't use a negative terminology or a negative phrase. A lot of people will say, talk about alcoholism, drug addiction. It's like, oh my goodness, there's something flawed with that person. And they would never say, the whole law enforcement family is flawed. There's something wrong with all these people. But we, you and I both know that's not true. Uh, right. And there's some of the finest people I've ever met. Even those who are carrying the most damage and have the most emotional flaws from what they've experienced are still some of the finest people I've ever met. And I'll go through any door with them anytime. I agree 100%. 
And even with all that willpower, all that strength, all that self-determination, all the things that we use to keep going that worked for so well for so long, then there comes a point where, and this happened to me, my marriage is falling apart. And no matter what I try to do, I cannot save it. I cannot salvage it. And I just make it worse. And it's not what she wanted. And it's not what I wanted. But next thing you know, you're living apart. That's and- right. And that's how I found myself. I found myself into my career and doing well, climbing the ladder, getting promoted to sergeant, later to lieutenant. Um, I was div- At 29 years old, I was already divorced for my second time. And again, I had, you know, I had got everything backwards in my life, and I had put my career first, and then I had put my family next, and then I had put God third. Uh-huh. And, I mean, it just made for a bad, bad recipe. It's such a disaster. And I, I remember working with people that kept their priorities the exact opposite, and they seemed to have been fine. That's right, and that's the guy I wanted to be. And you know what? I worked around those guys and we're t- and gals, and we're talking about the ones like me that struggle with the addiction and, and things like that and the suicidal thoughts. But there's lots, like you were talking about, there's lots of good, solid men and women that are doing right. You know, they're putting their priorities in order like I had always wanted to be, God, family, and work. And those are the men and women that I started surrounding myself by. And I latched on to you. And they were giving me tools to pull, put in my toolbox. And I said, please, give me the tools. How are you doing this? How are you staying on track? And they give me a tool to put in my toolbox. Not only did I put it in my toolbox, I used it. And that's made the difference for me. So often I've found that when people tell me their experience of what they went through to get through those dark days and to get to where they're at now, is far more beneficial because it's something I can use than those people who want to tell me what they believe and what their faith says. And I'm not, I'm not anti-faith. I'm not anti-faith-based. I'm not anti-religious by any stretch. But I found that what someone else believes is of little use to me. But when they tell me, hey, look, I was like this. This is what happened to me. This is where I thought I was never going to return from. This is where I'm at today. And here's what I did to get there. Yeah, that makes all the difference in the world. So how do we get that message to those people right now, whether it be in law enforcement or not, whether it be first responders or not? Because there's a lot of people out there, you and I both know there's a tremendous opioid problem. You and I both know there's always been a tremendous alcohol problem. And there are people who are considering ending it all right now as we speak because they can't see that it gets any better. Well, I think it starts with just like what we're doing right now. You know, we've started the conversation. And that makes the difference. When you and I came into this profession, Jay, there was no conversation about this. No. None whatsoever. And so that's making a huge impact when, like I said, when us veteran officers are talking about it. And I think that uh, with starting that conversation and having interviews like this on the radio and publicly speaking, then that's where we turn the ship around you know let these men and women hear us say we've been there and we asked for help we got the support and this is where we are today so again that that person i'm not gonna use his name that you talked to that my partner robert talked to uh i talked to his mother and i just tried to explain to them that it's not something they can handle on their own they need to talk with people who have been through this especially those who've been through 
that terminology of critical incidents that, that law enforcement and first responders experience. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. And I will tell you, I do want to add that, you know, I've heard on your radio show, I've heard ads uh, for a place called Transformations. Yep. Phenomenal people doing phenomenal stuff. Well, you know, I'll tell you this. I went to a treatment center. I wish that I would have known about a uh, first responder uh, program like Transformation Transformations offers saved my life absolutely i needed and listen it's not the only way to get sober if you're dealing with an addiction uh you don't have there's no requirement to go to treatment for me i needed to i don't think that i could have got grounded and got the foundation that i did without it but that was a game changer for me so you know i I, i'm so glad that y'all are putting that out there for the men and women to hear because we think we need to know about these type resources that are out there. And I'm sure you can get more details on your website, which is sspba.org. Patrick Cullinan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you having me. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.